It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. The following is a Podcast One Minnesota production. For those who simply can't get enough talk about the Vikings, we present Bonus Chatter. Bonus chatter about your favorite team that's unscripted, unfiltered, and uninterrupted. This is another edition of 1500 ESPN's Purple Podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Purple Podcast, the post-Vikings Jaguar edition. And let me tell you, Judd, that I will not remember this game after today. As soon as I walk out of the stadium, if you ask me, Hey, remember that game where the Vikings played the Jaguars in the preseason? The answer is no, and you can't make me. Have you ever, in your time watching football, have you ever covered a preseason game one through three that was worse than this? I've seen preseason game four is terrible, and I get that. It sucks. So I'm not including that because starters don't play. Nobody cares, and it shouldn't be played. I don't think I've ever covered one through three a preseason game that was this sloppy, this bad, this pathetic to watch. If the Vikings had decency, they would call every one of the people who bought a ticket today and give them a full refund for that crap. They, they charge people. This game took about three and a half hours. There were an, an innumerable amount of penalties. There were timeouts called with under two minutes remaining in this game. There were three players carted off, and I believe two more players hurt in this football game from the Minnesota Vikings. There was the most preposterous, ridiculous, outlandish 15-yard penalty call. And there were more that were still bad, but there was one against Antoine Williams that was just incredible that got shared all over the Internet. The head coach called that a good flag, a good penalty call. He said, after I calmed down and watched it again, that he did indeed put too much of his weight oh my onto the court. This is where we're at. And, b- and by the way, just to oh back boy. up your point, just to back up your point, 20 total penalties called today, including 13 against the Jags. And the only person, the only person in this entire stadium in midseason form was none other than head referee Sean Hockley, the son of Ed, who much like his old man decided the one thing that he hates in life is a closed microphone. <laughs> 
That is the way that it felt. It felt like they had their hands on the yellow hankies just waiting for anything to call in this game. And at some point, I understand it's going to be ugly that not everyone's a starter. You just have to back off and let the game be played and let some things go, or we're never going to leave this stadium. And that's how it felt today. So moving aside from all that, I just needed to get that off my chest. Oh, I'm with you. It was bad. That yep. penalty was bad. I, I don't care if he says he let his weight go on top of the quarterback that cannot possibly be a penalty this year or we're all going to hate everything and and i'm with jeff schwartz the former viking who's tweeted over and over again hey they're still figuring things out guys it's not going to be this bad in the regular season but that one needed to be called out as ridiculous so moving beyond that judd let us start with the offensive line that had two players, I believe, carted off today, Josh Andrews and Cedric Lang. Yep. Those are two backup guys who probably weren't going to make the team, but that resulted in starters having to come back in, mm-hmm. including Cornelius Edison and Aviant Collins. Collins starting at right tackle instead of Brian O'Neill really caught my eye because we had been talking a bit how O'Neill could make a push for the starting right tackle position, but this kind of looks like they really don't want to force him in there right away, that they would prefer Rashad Hill comes back, and maybe even Aviant Collins would be the backup for Rashad Hill. That's kind of how it looks for today. I know a lot can change between now and week one. Yeah, so uh, post game, I asked Zim about this, and I said, what, what's the issue here continuity-wise? Because it's gotten very difficult. I mean, you've never had this whole line together. Uh, now Easton's out for, for the season at left guard, and we all know that. He said, I mean, he basically said, yeah, it's getting to be a problem because it has. There's no question about that. He said that it sounds like that there's a very good chance Friday's game against Seattle, which is preseason game three, where the starters will almost certainly play a half and probably into the third quarter for a series. Mike Remmer's probably back at right guard for that game. Um, Elfline, they're going to see. Now, I have heard it that he might be activated or there's a very good chance that he gets activated for Monday. I don't know if that means he plays on Friday. He might not. Rashad Hill is wait and see. But the first-team offense, as good as they looked in Cousins going 4-4 four for four in, the, in their one series of action that ended with the Diggs touchdown in Denver, they looked equally as discombobulated today. And I just keep going back to the fact that at some point in time, with uh, September 9th and the season opener against San Francisco qu- uh, quickly approaching, that you've got to get this line in some semblance, right? And so it sounds like Dalvin Cook... Zimmer wouldn't come out and say this flat out, but he said there's a plan for Cook to play in the preseason. It can't be game four, so that's three. I think him getting back on the field is certainly going to help this offense and change its look. But I just, I'm sorry, Matt. I just keep going back to the offensive line and thinking to myself, you have to get some of this unit back and working together before September 9th because it's a new OC. It's a new quarterback. I mean, if this was Shermer, and and Keenum both back, you might say, okay, th- th- those guys played together, or uh, certainly Shermer called plays for that uh, for that unit in 2017, so it's going to be fine. But I just keep going back to all the new components, and and at some point in time here, you've got to at least get a semblance of this line back together on the, the field, or else on September 9th, I'm not saying it's going to be a gong show, but it's going to be difficult. Yeah, no, and not having Remmers in there for this long when he's trying to switch positions, not having Elfline back after multiple surgeries, not having Rashad Hill get as many preseason reps as possible. I mean, he talked about kind of reworking his body a little bit and wanting to be in better shape. 
and then he really hasn't been able to put that into practice because he's had the illness to start and then the ankle injury, so he hasn't been out there a whole lot. And then with the backups, you've seen a basically third-string guy playing center because Cornelius Edison was supposed to be behind both uh, you know, Pat Elfine and Nick Easton. Right. So he was number three, and he's having to get all these reps with Kirk Cousins and not Pat Elfline yet. We are starting to get to the, all right, a little bit of nerves here about this offensive line, especially since they haven't worked with Cousins and new offensive coordinator. Uh, yeah, it's a situation where it's the one thing that could take them down mm-hmm. the offensive line from where their expectations are set. And after two preseason games, you saw even more injuries up there today. So it, it becomes uh, the farther we go along, the more nervous everyone should be. And, and maybe that'll be quelled a little bit sure. next week. If Remmers comes back, if Elfline comes back, if Hill comes back, then all of a sudden you can kind of exhale a little bit because you can survive at left guard. And the fact that Tom Compton started at left guard today makes me think, all right, he's probably going to be that guy for this season. Yeah, and you, you, I think, have some concern about that. But, yeah, at least if you get – if you've got the four guys back, it helps a lot. I just – and, and – I am not sounding the alarm on this, but we've talked about this consistently since day one. And at some point in time, and because you brought up a point here consistently, too, that's a very important uh, thing to keep in mind. Um, Kirk Cousins, we believe to be an upgrade on Keenum, but the thing that Keenum had going for him is if all hell broke loose and things broke down, he could scramble and throw. We, we saw t- today a couple of examples of Kirk Cousins needs the pocket to hold up, and his mobility and ability to move, he can do it a little bit, but not a lot. And so if you're consistently shuffling linemen in and out and pressure is coming from different angles and different places, you're asking Kirk Cousins to do something that is clearly outside of his comfort zone. And so this is where this all starts to get to be a concern. Now, at least if he gets the same line somewhat consistently – he knows their abilities, weaknesses, etc. Right now, he doesn't. And and the one thing that's going to be a big problem for this offense is if the pocket does not hold up consistently because Keenum was a master at scrambling and throwing, and that is not going to be something that you can come to Kirk and be like, improve at this. He just can't. He can do what he can do, and throwing on the run is not going to be a strength. And I think you saw it today where even Riley Reef struggled against this very good Jacksonville Jaguars defensive line that there are going to be questions all the way across. And when Cousins was pressured today, there was a little bit of panic in there. And he threw some balls that normally would be strong throws to the outside to the numbers, but often ended up being one hoppers to his guy. There was one specifically to Thielen where normally that's on time, but it seemed like it wasn't because the pocket was collapsing on Cousins. He even took a sack where I'm not sure exactly what happened on there. If it was a missed assignment, I mean, a guy came free and sacked Cousins, so I'm not... Really clear he how said that good happened. play by the J- Jaguars okay. lineman, but I think he doesn't yeah. want to. He also d- doesn't want to blame his line yet, because this would be really premature in preseason game two to say 
God, those guys just aren't that good. That, yeah, that's possible that the blocking scheme is supposed to draw the defensive end in, but they just realized that it wasn't going to be that, yep. and he went right after the quarterback. So maybe that is exactly what happened, but still not exactly the hit that you want Kirk Cousins taking in a preseason game. You don't want him taking any. Right. And today he was pressured a lot, and as soon as he came out of the games, like, okay, this is good for them to have him out of the game because now he can't take any more hits from an offensive line that was clearly struggling against the Jaguars. So let me go to some other areas of this game, some other individuals to talk about. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mike Boone got himself back in the race against Rock Thomas for the number three running back. And I think, Judd, that it was Mike Boone way ahead, and then Rock Thomas had a great game in Denver and put himself even or ahead of Boone and Boone comes back today and plays really, really well. I think right now the edge goes slightly to Boone, mm-hmm. but Thomas also was good. I mean, he averaged five yards a carry. He caught a pass or two, and you know, can picked Boone up, do more yards, So Boone strikes me as, as a guy who might be able to do more consistently, and in that role, that's the key thing to me. I think that they both kind of can. Okay. That, you know, Thomas dropped a pass today, and that wasn't great for him. But in the pass that he dropped, he was lined up in the slot, and he ran a good route and created separation there. He had the screen pass. He had the, the rail route or wheel route uh, last week with uh, Trevor Simeon throwing the touchdown. So I think yeah. that Thomas has shown that he's a part of the receiving game where maybe Boone hasn't shown as much of that yet so far. Boone had one catch for one yard. So maybe there is a little more that Boone is the peer runner and Thomas can do more in the receiving game. But one thing that was key that I noticed, and it was toward the end of the game, but Boone had a very nice blitz pickup where he knocked a linebacker on his behind. Uh, Yeah, that was really good. And uh, I I will say that even down in the locker room, I mentioned it, and uh, Delvin Cook was sitting there, and he said, oh, you saw that, huh? Like, well, yeah, I mean, that's something we were watching for after last week. I was still watching, despite the fact this game was complete direct, (laughs) Delvin. Yes, Yes, I I saw it. It's unbelievable because I almost fell asleep. Why I was still watching at that point, I don't know, but I noticed that that happened, and Boone had a missed assignment last week that I think was a ding against him if he couldn't pass protect. So it was a much, much better showing for Mike Boone, and I think right now that they are neck and neck and Mac Brown isn't really a part of the conversation. Probably true. Probably true. Murray, two fumbles, one lost. Can't happen. I don't care if it's preseason. I don't care when. You can't. I, I have seen far too many guys start to get because the, the, the first one, which was actually recovered by Compton, he was carrying the ball really loose and slinging it around in, in his arm. Can't be doing that. Latavius, you can't be doing that. You have to protect the football. It's the most important thing here, too, because this defense, I, my theory is becoming this. Offensively, I think because of the fact that there's been, there's been issues on the line and the offense hasn't really gotten to work together enough yet, I told you this during the game. I think you're looking at a quarter of the season where you're going to put your defense out there and say, hold up. Help win us games. And I think the offense might come. I think it might take some extra time, which is not going to be a major surprise. But the one thing you can't afford then is dumb mistakes. You can't afford interceptions. You can't afford fumbles. So I know it's a preseason game, and people are going to dismiss it because the game was terrible and terribly sloppy. I get all that. But I really think that you are looking at an offense that might need the defense to do a yeoman's job for four to six games or so, at least four games, and you cannot make stupid mistakes. And the way I look at it, too, is if this is going to be a 2016-like season because of the offensive line issues, you really just need to finish games for one. They didn't do that in 2016, and also not have 
the mistakes. And last year, one of the biggest thing was that Case Keenum only had one fumble all of last year. So when it comes to Cousins, he's had a lot of fumbles over the last three years. That can't happen for him. It, like you said, it can't happen for the running backs. I mean, it's going to be the small things with such a tough schedule that ultimately decide whether this season is a great one, a good one, or not one at all, really, when it comes to the playoffs. And it's starting to have that kind of feel where – when you go up against these other teams or when you try to match your team up on paper, the Jacksonville Jaguars are a good team. I know this doesn't matter, but what you saw out there was what a lot of games I think will look like of just these hard fought battles where your offensive line has to hold on for dear life and someone has to step up and make a play or Kirk cousins has to come through with something special and he can do that at times, but you're right that the defense is going to have to keep them still in games a lot aside from cousins. Uh, Kyle Slaughter, Trevor Simeon didn't look good either. No. Your, your guy, Kyle Slaughter. No, my guy. My son did not look that good. I am still very much up in the air on whether he makes the squad. I know that you think the investment, but the investment compared to what they make for players, other players, is very small. Sure. I just think they like him. he, He plays a position where if you think you've got a developmental guy, I don't think you cut him. Yeah. And they paid him a lot to come, to come here on the practice squad initially last year. But I'm talking more about position and the fact that, that right now I think they see this clearly as they've got their quarterback of the present and Cousins. Simeon's a nice backup. If he has to play, he can. But I, my sense with uh, Sloter is that they think that they've got a developmental kid here, and I think they keep him based on that. The uh, wide receivers, because I, I, I agree with you there. If I'm doing my 53, which I think I'll probably update after week three, Uh, Don't update it today. No, I will not because I didn't learn enough today. And that's where I was going next is the wide receivers. I mean, give me a single takeaway from the wide receivers aside from this. Chad Beebe was in in the first half. That's a good sign for him. Yeah, they clearly like him. Uh, Caleb Jones was one of the first wide receivers off the bench once Stephon Diggs and Adam Thielen came off. I think that he makes the team at this moment. Um, It does not look great for Stacey Coley as far as coming back. He was really good against Denver, at least made one great catch, and then got hurt this week in practice. So now you're looking at Thielen Diggs, Treadwell, who once again did nothing. He had a catch. Two catches for eight yards. Kind of juke somebody out, but did nothing. But he's going to make the team. Oh, yeah, but he's on the team. And then past that, I'm still— I think your guy Wright does not. I I think you called that. Yeah, I think Kendall Wright does not make this team. It was very curious to me that he couldn't get first team reps in minicamp. Yeah, and I think you're he, right. He really hasn't gotten first team reps all the way through. He's made no impact in the preseason. He doesn't play special teams. If you're choosing between Chad Beebe and Kendall Wright right now, it's not hard. Beebe can do a lot more on special teams, yes. and Beebe actually was a better punt returner today than Mike Hughes was. Mike Hughes has shown nothing as a returner, so I'm I, I'm okay. And I, this pun is on purpose. I am okay with punting on the idea of Mike Hughes as a returner. Don't even worry about that. Keep Marcus Sherrill's around. That's fine. He had another good return today. And maybe you keep Chad Beebe for doing all the other things other than just punt returning, but he can be your second option as a punt returner and as kind of that backup slot guy. The special teams is going to be an important deciding factor. And Tavares King has done nothing. Jake Winicky has done nothing. Punt coverage. Can they get that fixed? And I know I know the late one today was third team guys or something like that. I get that. But I mean that's now that's now in two games, three returns. Punt coverage also is fundamentals. 
It is, yep. I mean, it's, it's uh, to use the cliches, it's discipline, right? So what you're saying is fire prefer. <laughs> Saw those tweets. Uh, I got a question for you. And, and I'm going to preface this by saying, let's play a game, negative, positive, or a little bit of both. Zimmer, in his postgame opening remarks, so this is a message. I mean, this is not a, I think, you know, you, you asked a question, I'll answer. This is an opening remark. Said, I'm really glad we didn't win this game. We didn't deserve to. It's better that we lost. Uh, he also alluded to something that you brought up, you, from Wednesday and Thursday's practices against the Jaguars, which is they didn't look that good. Mm-hmm. He basically said this game was an extension of how we practiced against Jacksonville. Now, the immediate is, oh, boy, that's really not good. But I also could see the positive because he can now go to his players with three either joint practices and a game and basically say, look, you were 13-3. and three. I don't give a damn. Yep. I mean, this to me – uh, the Wednesday, Thursday practices against the Jaguars and Saturday game give him a really good entry point to say, hey, you, you might think you're hot bleep, but for three days, you basically stunk. Mm-hmm. So negative, positive, or a little bit of both? No, I, I think that we were questioning why they would bring the Jaguars in. Because there's always that risk of some other team getting hot and fighting and injuries, all that stuff when you go up against another team. I thought that the risk outweighed the reward. Now that it's happened and now that we know the result, it was probably a good decision to give them a better measuring stick for where they actually are. And you can make all the excuses you want about the injured offensive lineman. It made a difference against Jacksonville in practice. Still, Offensive linemen appear like they're going to get injured this year. So you're going to have to adjust and find different ways. And they did not do that very well against the Jaguars in those joint practices. They did not execute well at all. And then having this today be a real wake-up call, if you will. I mean, I don't know if anybody's quite getting complacent at this point, but... You know, this is a team that goes in knowing that everyone is saying Super Bowl for them. So it is a good reminder for Mike Zimmer to be able to say, hey, guys, I don't care what everyone's saying on the outside. We were terrible in those practices. We were terrible in this game. And we've got a lot of work to do. And I asked Kyle Rudolph that after the game. He seemed to be in a little bit of a salty mood. And I asked him, like, well, what's the next step here to to take? For this offense. And he basically said, we have to clean up everything. I mean, everything is not perfect right now. That's not exactly what you want to hear from them with with this whole new offense and whole new quarterback and everything else. But at the same time, I think that at least they understand that. They understand, and and this would be a shining light to that. I'm not saying we're going to look back when they win the Super Bowl and say, you know that Jaguars joint practice, that was the difference maker. But just a little reminder that you're not there yet and you're going to face some very good defenses this year. And a performance like this, if you did that in a real game, you probably lose. If you, you can't play dumb. You just can't yeah, play dumb. Right. So that's simple. Yeah, I'll buy into that a, a little bit to some extent. Uh, the kicking competition over today? No. I think, you know what? I think it came to a, a conclusion, I believe, in Denver when, when the kid made, what, two f- field goals and all his extra point attempts. And one for 57. Carlson did, yeah. Uh, Forbath doinked one off the right post today. Uh, I, I, think, I think that ends it officially. But I think it's been done for a while. I, when Carlson struggled in training camp, I said to myself, this, this could be a problem. And for all I know, Matthew, that could come back and bite these guys right in the ass. Uh, but, yeah, I think it's done. How about you? Oh, yeah. No, uh, when we were going through this 
after the draft, we said that's really interesting that they just drafted their new kicker this year because in the fifth round, you're going to feel like Ty goes to the fifth rounder anyway. And you trade up. And you trade up to get this guy, so you clearly really liked him. And then in camp, it's been very much even. I mean, it it almost seems like they've been following each other. Like, one guy misses one, and the next guy will miss the same exact field goal. Like, okay. Okay, somebody take a lead here in this competition, but since Carlson crushed his field goals and then since Forbath missed today, I wonder if it is in Forbath's head just enough to be just that little bit wide to the right and hit the post there. And that was a very makeable and easy field goal that you need. When it's yep. 41 yards indoors, you need that field goal every single time. And they'll probably look at it like as long as Carlson has made his field goals. And he came in, if you noticed, to take the extra point at the end of the game. Yes, I did. So as long as yep. he's making his field goals in the third preseason game and he hits his extra points, I think we're all set there. And then it's hold on to your butts. Well, see, that, that's a rookie. What I, was say. I will say this. This makes me nervous. When I'm you shocked, have, Judd. I'm shocked when that you have, you nervous. When you have a team with Super Bowl aspirations and you turn the keys of the kicking game, which we've seen before, for all we sort of laugh about kickers, when you turn the keys over to them and now the pressure is going to build and build and build and build, it makes me nervous. If you didn't, if you truly believed in your heart of hearts, and you might be right that Forbath was not the guy in, uh, in April, I, I would have been much more... Um, I would have gone out in March and tried to find a veteran. So I think it's done. I think Carlson's the guy. I think he uh, probably does have a howitzer for a leg. Good for him. But when the pressure comes, if this team advances as far as it thinks it can, God help him if he shanks one right wide right. Okay, something else to watch here. Mackenzie Alexander left with an ankle injury. Judd, in the preseason, we don't talk about injuries as uh, Mike Zim Zimmer. Did, Zim did a little bit, but he didn't bring up that one. Uh, Zimmer, even in one press conference, he's gotten so tired of being asked about injuries, he turned to me and said, what do we say about injuries? And I said, we don't talk about injuries. And then we all moved on because that's been the answer we've gotten every time. So I wouldn't expect to get an answer on Alexander. Yep. But if he is hurt, it was very interesting today to see Terrence Newman was the guy that came in. And he didn't really play much, if at all, in the first preseason game. I'm not sure that he even got out on the field. He, and he didn't, I don't think. And he doesn't need to. No. He's fine. But he came out there today to fill in and not Mike Hughes. Mike Hughes actually played a little bit on the outside with the first team and then was the slot corner the entire time with the second team, which tells me, even though all those positive things that we've said about Mike Hughes and that we've heard from Zimmer and all of his teammates, that in the real games – that that's probably the order. If Alexander's got it right now at yep. this moment, yep. and then Newman will come in if there's any issues or in a rotation, yep. Hughes will rotate to the outside more likely than not to start when someone needs a rest. Mm-hmm. And then if there's an injury or it doesn't go well for Newman, if age starts to hit him a little bit, then we will ultimately see Mike Hughes with the slot. But I went from thinking this week, I guess I, I've just, this is how you, you change and go up and down through the days because even heading into today, I thought, well, you know, Brian O'Neill's got a chance say, to win. Yeah, was gonna yeah, win the job, and, and then the same with Hughes with a chance you to win the though? slot corner. And now I don't think that. You know we'll what? see. You know what though? And we, we've uh, talked about this a lot before too. That slot corner position is so intricate and difficult, and so Terrence is Mike's guy. And and if there's anyone on this team, I, I think you, he just has complete faith in, it's Terrence. So it doesn't surprise me. 
like even if Hughes eventually inherits that job eight games in this year or in 2019, I just think once again the point is this team has such high expectations, and I think Mike's going to be very reluctant to turn over a key spot like that. And I do think that that's one spot that we just don't get. Like, I think there's so much going on inside there, and there's so many mistakes and breakdowns. And if you break down, it all breaks down. And so it doesn't surprise me uh, because Zimmer knows cornerback play so well that I, I think he might love Mike Hughes, but I think he's also very aware of the fact that putting the kid in that position very quickly mm-hmm. would, pro- would probably, A, hurt his confidence, and B, could cost him games. No, you're right that uh, he would have to really outplay Mackenzie Alexander, or Alexander would have to be hurt, and then you will see, because Newman can't play every play of a game. No way, not at this point. He was only playing about 50% last year, and I think that you would have to dial it back even a little more for him, so you'd really have to split how you decided to work those reps if Alexander's injury is at all serious, which, again, we won't know until we start we're to go not along. Talk, we're just not yeah, going to talk, 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 talk about it. We're just not going to talk about it, Matt. Uh, last, what you want from me. Last thing, because I want to put this behind us, <laughs> this preseason game. Yeah. Blake Bortles still bad. Yep. Very, very bad. Played the entire first half, and he's awful. And I don't know what Jacksonville is thinking. How can you take – I mean, okay, Jacksonville might have overachieved a bit last year. So let's just say they're not that good. But they still should be or could be a playoff team, and their defense is really, really good. Uh, How on earth does a franchise – and, I mean, we've seen it here before, so it's a rhetorical question, I guess. But how on earth does a franchise look at that roster and and look at the fact that they got to the AFC title game and, in fact – should have beaten the Patriots and had a chance to and keep Blake Bortles, who in the first, what, two series, right? Threw a ball threw a ball to Mackenzie Alexander. It went off him, popped up, went into Anthony Barr's hands. He dropped it, and then Blake came right back and threw a ball right to Harrison Smith, who, of course, does not drop that ball. Right, Blake believing in justice. He thought there was injustice in a drop pick because it was so bad, so he said, All right, I've got to correct that. <laughs> I have to make that right and throw a pick to Harrison Smith. And it wasn't just that. I mean, it was he looked lost in the pocket. He was inaccurate in practice. There was one day where the Jacksonville reporters counted it up. You went four for 13 in practice against yeah, the Vikings. It was terrible. I know the Vikings defense is good, but come on. Right? I mean, he couldn't move the ball at all today. And it does make me wonder about that team. And, you know, we point to possible regression on this Vikings team because of a number of factors. Well, the Jaguars have the same thing. It is great defense, but if that's how they're going to move the ball, then it's very hard to convince me that they're a legit Super Bowl contender and they should be on the phone to Teddy Bridgewater and the New York Jets. But, Judd, I saw today Bridgewater is taking the first team reps with the Jets. He should start for him. He's so, their starting quarterback. So they may, they may pivot on that. The Jets may pivot from, well, we're going to trade him to, we're going to start him and then just see how it goes. That's what I would do. So they missed plenty of opportunities. They, the Jaguars could have had Keenum. They could have had Bridgewater. They could have signed Colin Kaepernick and just dealt, dealt with that and tried to go for a Super Bowl. They've got the cap they, space. They could have signed Cousins. They could have chased Tyrod Taylor. Yep. This was the best offseason ever. They could have even drafted Lamar Jackson. This was the best season ever to go get a quarterback and the Jacksonville Jaguars. Jaguars completely punted on that, and now they are stuck with a guy who they might be able to be competitive with, but I'm not sure you could ever win with. They will win games if they do so and have success in spite of Blake Bortles, not because of him. That is, yeah, that's exactly right. And you know what? The handful of Jaguar fans, six or seven, who exists, 
were like going after me on Twitter for saying Bortles is bad. I'm sorry, guys. I'm going to need some evidence ever in his career that he's good. Which is the same as when Vikings fans on Twitter defended Christian Ponder. Just give it a break. Give, you yep. know what? Be self-aware enough to know your guy sucks. Like, he just sucks. Okay? He's not any good. Like, just admit to it. You should hate him. Why Why do you not, if, you're, if you are one of the seven Jaguars fans out there, why do you not hate Blake Bortles more than anyone? He's costing you a chance to go to a Super Bowl, yeah. probably. Yeah, you But would, the AFC ain't great. You would think that there would be cries from their fans to do something yes. better. And I've seen this play out before with Doug Marone. I, I've seen it where in Buffalo, he stuck with EJ Manuel. The Bills front office did. They didn't draft Teddy Bridgewater or Derek Carr, the other quarterbacks that year. And they instead tried to get him another wide receiver. And guess what? It didn't solve the problems. And by week five, it was Kyle Orton. And Cody Kessler was horrible today. I wouldn't be even stunned at all if Cody Kessler ends up playing quarterback for the Jaguars this year if they don't make a move. So Teddy Bridgewater could have come cheap on a one-year deal. Way to go, Jags. I wish you the best, Jaguars. It has been uh, eventful, I guess, this week. But this was a bad preseason game, and let's never talk again. So... We'll be back for another episode of the Purple Podcast this week. Courtney and I will be breaking down what to look for against Seattle, among other surprise guests and so forth. We'll talk to you then on the Purple Podcast. Call of Duty Modern Warfare is here, and so is Mountain Dew. Roger that. Now you can unlock in-game rewards like only Dew can. Wait. What rewards? A dual operator skin. Man, I love operator skins. Dual double XP and even Call of Duty points. You're kidding me. Double XP and Call of Duty points? This is incredible. I can't believe it. Soldier, get a hold of yourself. Oh, roger that. Look for specially marked packaging and visit mtndugaming.com for details and restrictions. Open to U.S. residents 17 plus. Call of Duty points available on 12 and 24 packs and free 20 and 23.